Well, welcome again. My name is Terry. We want to give a special welcome to those who are watching online, uh, wherever you are, and hopefully you're experiencing the peace of Jesus as well. As you know, many of you, uh, for 13 years, my family and I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And as I tell most people, most Canadians don't get up in the morning and say, I want to move to Missouri. That just usually doesn't happen. But St. Louis is really a gem of a city. Lots that goes on there. St. Louis was the first city in North America to host the modern day Olympics. It had a world-class World's Fair early on. St. Louis uh, eats the most barbecue sauce per capita. Uh, St. Louis is also the birthplace of the ice cream cone. So when you have an ice cream cone, you can thank St. Louis. It's also the birthplace of 7-Up and of iced tea. So when you had a glass of iced tea this morning, think of St. Louis. It has a wonderful side. St. Louis also has a dark side. And a lot of racial challenges, let's just say, in its past. And one of those was in the 1850s with the Dred Scott case. And when you took any American history, if you took that, the Dred Scott case was one of the impetuses for the Civil War. Dred Scott was a slave. He and his wife were enslaved by different owners. They kind of got passed from owner to owner, but they ended up living in Missouri. And Missouri was a state that had abolished slavery, but their masters, so to speak, were from other states. And so at one time, Dred Scott appealed to the government to, for his freedom and said, we should be free, we're living in Missouri. The case eventually went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in the 1850s said, Dred Scott is not human enough to be able to appeal to the Supreme Court. It's kind of black marks on North American history. Now, every Supreme Court decision has kind of the majority opinion, and then there's also a dissenting opinion, that someone who disagrees writes a dissenting argument, and in this case, it was Justice John McLaren, and obviously his dissenting argument became the promoting argument later on. But he wrote, a slave is not a mere shadow. He bears the express imprint of his maker, and he has an eternal soul. And so way back in the 1850s, this was the question. Are people bearers of the image of God or not? Are some people image bearers of God and others are not? And this is what we began to look at last week as we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, where in the very beginning it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is the question, and an important question, I think, in our culture today. Do human beings reflect the image of God? Do all human beings reflect the image of God? Are some people better image bearers than others? Are some people endowed with more value and dignity than other people? If they are, we treat everyone differently. If people are just masses of flesh, if we are just a little different than the animal kingdom, if some people are considered more important because of what they contribute than others, then we deal with difficulty. 
And if we don't think people are made in the image of God, then issues like the Holocaust make sense. Some are better, some aren't. Some help our society, some detract. And so this question of who are we as human beings is vitally important. And we as Christians often have a very good theology of sin and salvation, what it is to experience sin and to experience the grace of forgiveness. We don't always have a very good theology of our humanity. Who are we? Who is God and how are we made? And this issue of being reflective of the image of God, that we're created in the image of our creator, is vitally important. I say if you look at cultures and societies and countries that value people because they are replication of the image of God, they treat people better than places where people say it's survival of the fittest, the best, the most productive. And so this is what we want to look at today. Last week, Pastor Sawyer started a great kickoff on the fact that we are embodied as human beings. Our bodies matter. Our flesh matters, created in the image of God. And if you miss that message, I encourage you, go back to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel, make sure that you get notifications of when those videos come due. You can go back and listen, subscribe to our social media or podcast, make sure You've signed up for our weekly e-news. These are all helpful ways of getting this information. Today, I want to talk less about our body, the physical, and talk about what it means in the immaterial, in our spirit and soul, to reflect the image of God. Who are we as image bearers? And that as an image bearer of God in the invisible part of ourselves. We're created to reflect God's character. We're made in his image of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the attributes that we give to God. That as image bearers, we have authority and that we can govern and that we can rule. As image bearers, we're creative people. We're called to create. And we're going to see today, as image bearers, we are called to be fruitful And what I want to focus on today in particular is understanding what would it mean to practice the presence of the image of God every day? What would it mean if we looked at ourselves and we looked at others as image bearers of God? How would that change the way we treat people and the way that we grow and mature ourselves? And so three quick things today. The call to really practice the presence of God's image, the call to look at others and practice the image of God in others, and then the Imago Dei in ourselves. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. You can follow along uh, on the screen. And, and just the call, I think, to be very present about the image of God. Brother Lawrence, uh, a priest, years and years, and dec- millennia, or centuries ago, he wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of Christ, where every day he was cognizant of the fact that Jesus was present in his life. And kind of a play on that, our call to remember that we and everyone we come close to bear the image of God. And in Genesis 1, God, we see it opens with God creating the heavens and the earth. God speaks, right? And the stars come into place. God speaks and there's the earth, moon. God speaks and separates the land from the sea. The power of God, 
that there's God who creates, his son who speaks the word, and the spirit, it says, is hovering over the waters, as we sang earlier. That the trinity of God created the planet that we live on and just did it with his voice. Then in verse 12, we see a little bit of a shift. God speaks, but it says in verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. So God here speaks to the land, and what happens? The land becomes fruitful and productive. The land produces trees, and the trees produce fruit, and the fruit has seeds, and the seeds produce more fruit, and there's this fruitful replication. And that God put into creation, into our world, this idea that everything creates after its own kind. It is fruitful and produces after its own kind. That an apple tree produces an apple with an apple seed that produces what? Another apple tree. That a pear produces pear fruit and there's a pear seed and that falls in the ground and produces another pear tree. That there's this fruitful reproduction that comes out of creation. So God speaks and creation happens. God speaks to the land and there's this fruitfulness. And then we see God uses a little different language and creates human beings. He says, let us. We see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit creating humanity like themselves. And we see in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God creates human beings. How? After him, in his likeness, bearing his image. That we're creative as God was creative. We can rule and govern as God ruled and governed, that we reflect his character, the love, joy, peace, patience, who he is, and that we were created how? In his image. And then what does God say? In verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers, subdue the earth or fill the earth and subdue it. So God creates the heaven and the earth. He creates the earth. He says to the earth, be fruitful and create fruit, bear fruit after its own kind. He creates human beings and he says to what? You and I, to be fruitful and to fill the earth, to multiply. So often we look at that verse just in one way. We think, oh, we're just to reproduce. We're just to have more kids and more people. That's not what it says. It says be fruitful and to multiply. That God's intention for you and I is to be fruitful, to live fruitful lives. Now, if God embedded in the rhythm of creation that everything bears fruit according to what? According to its own kind, God says to what? Be fruitful. What is the fruit of our life? It's to be according to our kind. What is our kind? 
We're told that we're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And that part of being human is not just reproducing other human beings, but reproducing the image of God, image bearers, people who reflect to others God, people who themselves bear the image of God. And that our call as human beings all throughout Scripture, we'll see, is that we are to be fruitful, and that fruitfulness is bearing the life of God, the image of God, reflecting that to others. David writes in the first Psalm, he says that a person of of righteousness is like a tree that's planted near the water and that bears what fruit in and out of season, bears fruit. The night before he died, Jesus, in the upper room with his disciples, gives this image of what it is to be connected to Christ. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. My father is the gardener, that the branch is connected to Christ, that we're to be connected to him. The father comes and prunes us. Why? So that we can be fruitful and bear more fruit. In fact, bear much fruit. Jesus, just before he died, he says, we're to be fruitful. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in in Galatians about the works of humanity versus the work of the Spirit. He says the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is what? Fruit. That the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 6 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What is that? That's the Christ-likeness. It's the image of God. It's the character of God coming through us. And so from the very beginning of creation, God says to you and I, be fruitful. And what's the fruit? We're to show to others the image of God. How do we do that? We practice the presence of the image of God in others, and we practice the presence in us. That we practice the presence, first of all, of the imago Dei, the image of God in other people. We look at others and see that the image of God is there. In fact, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is after the the earth has been destroyed by the flood and God spared Noah and his family. Uh, God says to them, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood be shed. For God made man, how? In his own image. And friend, this is an important verse because God created us in the image of God. Then sin came into the world and we fell. The image of God is marred. And the question is, do we still bear the image? And God here says to Noah and his family, you bear the image. How you treat people matters because the way you treat people is the way you treat me. That the image of God is in other people. He says, I want you to see it. How we treat people It matters how we value them, how we speak to them, how we care for them. And God here is saying, make sure you understand when you see a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, an enemy, that you realize they're also image bearers of God. We get to the Ten Commandments. And we see that how we treat image bearers is how we treat God. In fact, God gives 10 commandments in Exodus. The first four have to deal with God. 
right? Have no other gods before us. Don't take his name in vain. Vain, have no graven images. Honor the Sabbath. Have you ever wondered why did God say there shouldn't be any graven images? Why, why shouldn't there be physical representations of God? Something that we can look to and point and, and say, oh, that reminds us of God. Why did God say that? Because objects were never meant to reflect the image of God when we as human beings do. God says, don't have any other graven images. There's no other image because you are the Imago Dei. You are the image of God. And so the first four commandments talk about how we treat God. The last six speak about how we treat the Imago Dei, the image of God and other people. That we're to remember our family, honor them, that we're not to steal, not to kill, not to lie, not to covet or want, not to commit adultery, not to take somebody, another image of God's person from them. And how we treat God is how we treat the image of God. And we see this throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25, verse 40. He says, truly I say to you, as you did it to me, to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. How you treat people, how you treat the image of God in someone else is how you treat God. And Jesus says, make sure you practice the presence of the Imago Dei in someone's life. That when you see them, see the image of God. John, Jesus' disciple, writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 29. He says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And what's John saying? That people bear the image of God, that if you can't treat the image of God in someone well, if you can't treat that right, then you're doing that to God. You can't really say you love God if you don't love the image of God in other people. And we see all throughout Scripture, we're to practice this presence that the image of God is in others. And what would happen if we did that? If we just stopped and we said, wait a minute, the people I'm interacting with, the people who are right in front of me are image bearers. How I see them, speak to them, act towards them, treat them, I'm doing that to God. Not just people who know God, but all people. How would that change your marriage? If the person you're married to, they're and a bearer of the image of God. God is in them. The way you talk to them is the way that you would speak to God. How would that change your parenting? That you are raising image bearers. How would that change how you're related to coworkers? You know, James says this in James chapter 3, verse 9. He's talking about our tongue he says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, what we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
He says, this doesn't make sense. That you can say, oh God, I want to bless you, but you curse the image of God, the presence of God, the Imago Dei in somebody else. You can't say that you're going to bless God, but curse God's image bearer, the person who is to reflect to others who God is. And I think this is one of the great issues in our culture today. And as Pastor Sawyer talked about last week, he said, you know, the challenges in our culture, we're talking over each other, not understanding, right, the same value. And in our culture, do we believe every person is an image bearer? Or do we believe some bear more image than others, some more valuable than others? Do we see all people? Because this has issues. Beginning of life issues, end of life issues. When does a person in the beginning of life become an image bearer? And at what point are they no longer an image bearer? At what point are they a burden in between? Right? There are cultures who would say people with a disability, they're not image bearers. We need to kind of hide them, put them away. Or do we say they're an image bearer? They're valuable. This is what drives us in our city today to to be concerned about feeding people and food insecurity. How do image bearers find food? I think it's going to be our challenge. Some of us were talking about this this week. In our future, with the rising cost of housing, how are people going to afford housing? Where are image bearers going to find a place to live? How we treat people is how we treat God. So it causes us to be concerned There's a a movie out called The Sound of Freedom about child sex trafficking around the world. And the message that that God's children, God's people aren't for sale because they're image bearers. And we live in a city, right, where sex trafficking, it's rampant. And talked to someone from Bayview this this past week who talked about in in their condo building, there were four condos that were brothels. People trafficked right in their own living domicile. And one of the courses we're offering uh, at our Jesus First course next month is just how to recognize that, how to help. What do we do? See, this is the challenge in our culture without an understanding of the Imago Dei. What happens in our culture is that, oh, all of a sudden we get on a hobby horse and we say, oh, this, this person, this group, they're more valuable at the stake of others. And we elevate the, the value of some people and we devalue others at the same time. How do we have a conversation where everyone is in the Imago Dei, the image of God? How do we help people? See, we live in a culture where it's like, oh, everybody's, we should just do that. Everybody's important. What? How do we help them, though, reflect the image of God? Everyone's important. Everyone's an image bearer. But God calls us with our understanding of sin and salvation. How do we help people? 
become fully the image of God. And I think students, this is going to be the number one challenge in your life and career you're going to face. Who are image bearers? Who are not? Who are valuable? Who are not? Theologians, I think, right now are trying to scramble to figure out a theology of transhumanism. How does technology in humanity match? At what point does technology help us become the image of God? And at what point does it take away from being image bearers? What's the role of CRISPR and other genetic modifications? Does that enhance the Imago Dei? Or does it take away the Imago Dei? And I think our challenge in our culture and society is our theology of the image of God. Are people image bearers of God? And I think scripture says we need to practice regularly the practice that every human being in front of us is an image bearer. And how do we treat them? And how do we call them to the fullness of the, the beautiful image that God has for us? Secondly, we're fruitful when we practice the Imago Dei in us. When we see that we are reflectors and image bearers. And sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes shame and difficulty does that for us, but that we presence the practice of God's image in us. Jerome Barr, a theologian, he wrote this in his book on being human. He says, the whole purpose of the Christian life is the recovery of the original image of God, in other words, the recovery of the kind of human experience that God intended Adam and Eve to have before the fall. That the call and the invitation of God, particularly because Jesus came to restore that image, because the Holy Spirit helps us, is how do we get back to living what God fully intended for us? Now, we will struggle in this world, but at some point, when we get to heaven, we'll fully get back to what God intended. But that the invitation for us, this is the invitation of the spiritual life. It's not just to manage our sin and try not to do bad things, but it's to fully walk in the fullness of God's image, what God intended for us, and how God has called us to do that. And this is so freeing, right? Because our world is telling us what image we should be. This is what you should be like. Oh, you should do this now. You should think this way now. This is what you should have now. The world is always trying to cram us into a particular image of what we should be. You, you just look at body image throughout the ages. Right? You look at medieval paintings. People were pretty fluffy. Right? And I look at that and go, man, I wish that was kind of like today. Right? Then you had, you know, Marilyn Monroe, you had the, the 50s and the 60s where it was kind of voluptuous. And then you have Twiggy and Kate Moss where it's like no extraneous fat on your body. What's the image? Who are you supposed to be? For us as men, it's like, is the dad bod in or, or is, you know, being all muscular in? What is it? 
And friends, we live trapped in a world that tries to fit us into, this is what you have to do, this is how you have to think, this is how you have to look. And scripture, this is the, the radical view of Jesus, is that we're to be restored to what God originally intended for us. Colossians 3.10 just says, put on the new self that's being renewed in knowledge, what, after the image of the creator, that when we come to Jesus, Paul says, just put on the image of God. That's the new self. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says this, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. We're all being transformed into the same image. What is that? The image of God, who God has called us to be. Paul here uses the word transformation. He used that in Romans 12, to that we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and uh, not conform to the world. And that word transformed, in, in Greek, it's metamorphosis. It's kind of the process of a butterfly. In fact, the Latin word imago Dei, imago Dei, image, imago Dei of God, image of God, the Latin theological phrase imago Dei, imago, it really means a fully formed adult butterfly. That was the image. That the imago Dei is a fully formed adult life. And Paul says, we're being transformed. We're going through this renewing that, that a butterfly lays eggs on a leaf. And then from there, a worm comes. And what does the worm do? The worm just eats and eats and eats. I often think that's kind of like someone who comes to Christ, right, spiritually hungry, eats and eats. And then what happens? They enter into the chrysalis stage. And they transform from the, the worm larvae into a butterfly. And basically, in the chrysalis, it's a mess. It's like butterfly soup, right, where the old is kind of going away. And, and the new is coming and transforming. And I think that's often where we find ourselves. And there's a lot of pain as some of the old goes away. There's a lot of hardship trying to put on who God has called us to be until we become fully formed. And that there's this call in our life to put on God, to put on the image of God. What is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And how do we do that? How do we transform, practice the Imago Dei? See ourselves not as like, oh, I'm just trying not to sin more, instead of I'm putting on who God has called me to be. How do we do that? And last week, I sat down with Ann Barry, and one of the counselors we use here at Bayview. You may know her. And um, we just sat and talked. How do we do this? How do we practice the Imago Dei in us through the challenges of life? And I'd love for you to hear what she had to say. It's so important. Well, Anne, it's so good to have you uh, be able to share with us. We talked a little earlier about the image of God and the kind of the idea of metamorphosis becoming the, the image of a butterfly as a mature picture of what it, what it means to, to grow and be in the image of God. So as a therapist, um, a counselor, what does the image of God mean to you? 
Well, I love the idea that of the butterfly and uh, the process that it takes to become a butterfly. But the image of God, let's talk about it in the terms of uh, a reflection. We want to reflect mm -hmm. the likeness of God in our lives. And so as you can see with that imagery of the butterfly, um, there's a process, right? It starts out as a caterpillar and then it goes into the chrysalis stage. So there's a lot of um, not pretty things and uh, some messy stuff. Uh, before it becomes a butterfly. And that's a great imagery of how we learn to reflect God in our own lives. So he, that image of moving forward, of, of not staying stuck, not staying yeah. a caterpillar, um, moving forward is, I think, a good way to sort of um, con conceptualize and, and put this in context for our discussion. So with regard to that movement or becoming more what God wants us to be, what do you think keeps people from doing that or keeps people stuck kind of in, in not growing in that image? I think most of the time what keeps us stuck is what has happened to us in the past. Mm. A lot of us have had very difficult experiences, difficult circumstances. We've had to deal with people who are perhaps very broken, don't have good skill sets. So we are result of those things. And sometimes those things keep us stuck because we worry about what's happened to us. We feel we're too broken ourselves to be able to move forward. And then the other way I find people get stuck is worrying about the future. So we have this past and future thinking cycle that happens to us that keeps us stuck and we're unable to move forward because those keep us frozen in a sense. So what we want to do, how do we move forward? We want to start being in the present. And this is very scriptural, actually. We want to talk about this because God teaches us, well, how do you deal with what's happened to you? He never ignores that part of us. And he tells us, don't worry about your future because he's got that managed. So what he wants us to do is stay in the present and then he walks with us through life so that we can become more like him as we go. We're in step with him, if you like. And that's how we start to move forward and get unstuck. So I guess like the butterfly in the chrysalis can't be going, oh, I wish I was a worm or I'm not a butterfly <laughs> yet. <laughs> but it sticks in the, the present, which I guess Paul says, don't look, you know, life in the rearview mirror. Just keep pressing forward and live in the moment. Is there any, any skills, any tips you have for people to be able to do that, to really kind of put the past in the past where it should be in the future and really think about the present? It's a very intentional decision, you know. I think sometimes we don't realize how much God has given us the power of choice. Mm. So we decide in our lives, actually, we choose whether we want to stay stuck either in the past and future or if we want to start moving forward in the present. So the best way we can do this is to to decide, you know what, I am going to look at the next thing in front of me. That's the thing that I need to do. How do I, you know, we're talking about the image of yeah. God. So how do I reflect his likeness in this next thing I have to do, either if that's for myself or for somebody else? So just being able to think in the moment, what am I doing now to reflect the image? God wants me to reflect that, and what can I 
It's a very intentional decision. You know, in Colossians, for example, since we're in church, we want to talk yeah. in these terms of Scripture. But in Colossians, for example, we're given the idea that we put away some things and we put on these new mm. things, right? So we put away things like anger and malice and slander, things like that we want to put away. Why? Because God is invested in your growth as a person. He wants you to move forward. Those things are going to keep you stuck. They're usually over things that have happened or things that could happen that we anticipate, right? So what does he want you to do? He wants you to put on love and kindness and humility, these kinds of things. Which is really who God is, which is putting is, on his image. Yeah. Precisely. We are now reflecting his likeness, and then we're able to move forward because we're not stuck in these things that hold us back. They're like anchors in our life. We don't want that. We want to be free, and that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be, enjoy life and to move forward and to, to, to serve your purpose and to have direction and meaning. And are there people you think who maybe because of suffering in their past or difficulty in the past, they get so stuck in that past and they can't, they think the image of God is so broken in them. Is there anything beyond that intentionality that can help them move beyond that pain and suffering of the past? Well, to use psychological speak, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of us have very negative core beliefs about ourselves. And those beliefs are usually tied to shame. Shame is a terrible emotion because it is an I am statement. I am not good enough. I am a failure. I am not lovable, whatever it might be. These statements hold us down. And so those are the things we have to start to work through because those messages are usually received when we're very young. So they become very automatic and deeply ingrained in who we are. So we don't even think about them anymore. So what happens when we start to get to know God in relationship? Because he's all about relationship. Uh, as we get to know him, then he starts bringing new messages. So he does love us. So I'm lovable. You know, I don't have to be good enough because he's good enough. And so he's going to move me forward. So these messages, they'll play in the background of your head always because they're so deep. But now we want to start thinking about the new messages. That's the intentional part. Which is why I think early on in scriptures is you're made in the image of God. We are created, that that's what we should live. And thank you so much. Is there anything, any last minute things you really wish people would hear or understand? I think the, the biggest message we want to get through is that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how you see yourself today. There's a hope and a future for you. As you get to know God and you go deeper with him, he's highly, highly invested in helping you move forward and finding purpose for your life. And that's what I think we want to communicate. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do in helping people. God bless. Thank you. Our Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would help us practice the presence of the image of God in us. We're reminded that we are made, formed, created in your image and that you want to restore that through Jesus. Father, help us to practice the image of God in everyone else we interact with. Would we see their value? Would we see God in them? Would we, even though the image is marred and broken and shattered, would we see 
what you are doing. Father, I pray that we would call one another to live well as God's image bearers, to call out from others that Imago day. Father, I pray that we would be able to put on just what you have for us, to be transformed, to be renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>